0: welcome to this thursday morning good morning i hope this is running okay um happy margaret o'brien straight out the traps with a happy birthday to our dear teddy nadia's dad it is indeed his birthday today 90 years old get your head around that one get your laughing gear around that one 90 years old obviously we are celebrating this weekend the celebration today in fact nadia nadia just uh just le- Nadia, Dina just legged it out with an enormous dish um, for her lovely father um, for today. Um, we recorded a, a Curly Cooks, and some of the food in that is all about being 90. 90 and still looking dapper, says Joni. Let's just get you up on the screen here. Good morning, everyone. So we were just having a bit of a frantic run around as we were doing the fridge fumble. Um, me and Dina trying to, trying to get food. Food is so important, isn't it? Well, it is in this family. Um, funny that, isn't it? Because I mean, I don't know. I don't, are you like Are you like the Adelies? The Adelies' food was not important. Food was functional, but for the Sawalas and many, many, many families, food is a is a thing of connection, warmth, uh, memory, everything else. I mean, I get it. I get it. That's why we did the Serious Taste My Life. It, it, it's a it's a about relationships. I think food is. Those things, when you eat it socially, and this is no criticism, it's just my family came from sort of, you know, lower mid- middle class roots, we didn't sit around a table and eat, though that's not necessarily a lower middle class thing, is it? We just didn't, we just didn't sit around a family, it wasn't a social thing for us to eat. Um, how are you all? Good morning, Tez, good morning, haven't seen you for a while. Um, um, also, on a sort of ad, admin, tech admin um, thing, I noticed a number of you yesterday were commenting on the fact that it went out of sync. And it was a curious situation because Michelle, myself, um, a couple of moderators were checking and it was fine on the vast majority of apps. And then I did another check last night and noticed that it had started to slip out of sync um, on when I did it on Safari. So I'm not too sure if it's a browser thing rather than a, an app thing. But that said, you weren't going mad, you're right. It's Unfortunately, it's nothing to do with us. There's going to be some kind of tech issue at the uh, at YouTube base. Um, Reese Roberts, morning, Mark. Got some BFI London Film Festival tickets earlier yesterday. Killers of the Flower Moon, The Kitchen, Poor Things, The Killer, Hitman, and The Book of Clarence. Funny, you should say that, Reese. I've got a couple of tickets there too. Uh, I wonder if we could coordinate and maybe grab a coffee. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, Kerry Gracie, food is so important, especially to the elderly. I visit a friend in a dementia home, and the residents love it when I tell them good. I, I mean. And that's the thing, you know, I mean, we joke about the phrase, phrase meals on wheels, but boy, Teddy has got meals on wheels with knobs on. I mean, meals with wheels with knobs, have you seen wheels with knobs on? They're quite something, especially when they're trotting meals round. Um, good evening, Karen Martin. <laughs> uh, Louise N. I've been listening to the podcast recently instead. So nice to see your face. Yeah, it's nice to have the option, isn't it? I was looking at the um, analytics on the podcast and there's quite a few people who, listen, who just listen, which is nice. Um, Uh, Joni, my son is going to those two, Yes, um, I haven't booked the kitchen. That's the, is that the Daniel Kaluuya one? I think it might be. Um, Nads is, uh, uncharacteristically Nads is uh, loose today. Uh, She'll be here for Coffee Morning tomorrow. Um, And then it's Saturday. It's going to be a pre-recorded Curly Cooks uh, on Saturday. Um, It's going to be a live No Name Sunday show, um, because of course, we are celebrating Teddy's birthday on Sunday. So you'll be here, pre-celebrations. You never know, might get Teddy involved. In fact, Teddy was saying only the other day, only because he's been a bit poorly and he's been a bit sort of, you know, not up to it. He was saying, oh, I miss doing the No Name Sunday show. But we may have a treat for you Teddy fans on the channel. You know what I'm saying. Um, hope you're all well. Uh, Sarah Withamton, I love experimenting with different recipes. I have to, I have hungry teenagers that are my hungry guinea pigs. Mmm. You've missing Teddy. I know, it's a shame. I mean, one of the things is, and I think this is important. I always remember my nanny Thelma saying at one point, toward you know, when she was about, what, 19? I think she was about 92. She'd sit in the lounge and we'd talk and then she'd pause and she'd look at us and she'd put her hand over her mouth in a state of panic and she'd say, did I just say something ridiculous? And you're going to see in the vlog, um, so very soon enough, we've been filming something with Teddy regarding his health um and it's quite it's a game changer it's a game changer for him it's a game changer for the family it's a game changer um and it's intriguing and interesting how we need to respect um our elders when they themselves decide they want to step back. It's a little bit like with the channel, you know, we respected the fact that the kids wanted to step back, Well, they want their privacy and all that kind of stuff. It's not their choice to necessarily be on the channel, apart from how they want to, film reviews, here, they're wherever. And likewise with Teddy, he's felt at times where, though he's wanted to do things like Teddy talks, he's felt like he's had to step back because he doesn't want to be sort of, he wants to be at his best, put it that way. There's pride and I think we forget. I think what we tend to do with much older members of the family is we, st- we talk for them. We answer for them. We speak for them. Um, And so I think it's really important that we don't. Uh, And I'm saying that for you, monk, too. It's important that we don't speak for you. So there we go. Francisca Bastos. I miss Teddy. He has that aura when he speaks. Everyone shuts up and listens. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. uh, Reese Roberts, hi Joni, if there's British-led productions, you're you're sunk to look in that avenue, yet, yeah, due to the ongoing strikes, the suspension of most film sets, sorry, I think you're talking about potential work on films. Um, Duh, Faith Goodwin, do you guys think the escape of Daniel Abad Khalif, who should have been in category A prison, was able to walk out in chef uniform is like a movie script? It's bizarre that they, this is the this is the sort of high security terrorist chap who managed to almost walk out of ones with prison, it's odd that they didn't raise the alarm for an hour, Was is that right? I think so. I think it was about an hour, wasn't it? They didn't raise the alarm for about an hour. I think the guards, the guards were just like, um, oh, sorry, I think Dina might be coming back in in a minute. Um, anyway, yes, no, I agree, I agree. It's a curious story, that. So what are we going to be talking about today? I thought we'd do things slightly differently today. Um, one of the story. well, one of the big stories today, sort of big, I say showbiz, but it's kind of like a story that lots of people might have some relationship with, is the uh, Kourtney Kardashian story uh, she had to have life-threatening surgery um, uh, regarding on herself, uh, for her, herself and her unborn child. The exact details of that surgery aren't known, but Travis Barker, her partner, had to call off his tour, uh, cancel a couple of dates. He had to rush back. Um, this is obviously the couple that we often sort of joke about. They're sort of almost like two suction pads attached to each other's heads. When you see them in the reality show, um, forever sort of polishing and stroking and, and, and just canoodling, uh, which is lovely. It's lovely. It's just, you know, sometimes, P- was it public displays PD? Was it P- P- PDO? PDA? Well, I don't know. what it. Is. Um, he texted, uh, he expressed his gratitude for how the procedure went, expressing gratitude to the doctors, as did she. God is great. I flew home for a life threatening emergency surgery for our baby that I'm so grateful went well, he wrote. Uh, I want to say thank you for all the support. The tour will resume on Friday. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's good news, isn't it? And it's just a reminder it's, when you see a story like that. I think it's very easy. PDA. Thanks, Reese. It's easy to think. It's easy to forget. I suppose when you see these sort of, you know, obviously incredibly rich, incredibly privileged, they've got every probably got the greatest doctors known to man. They've probably got their own entire hospital kind of looking after them, which is all well and good. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? It's the great equaliser. The moment that you're having a baby, the moment that the baby comes into the world, every mother to be or family to be is in the same situation you are at a, uh, what people forget is an incredibly dangerous thing. It's incredibly complex and, uh, you know, potentially dangerous thing. It needs to be done, you know, you need to be taken great care around it. And I, and I, and I just think stories like this just remind us of that. I mean, I know that we had we had such a you know, everyone has a moment, don't they? And, they, you know, they, they were, there was always, there was a moment when Maddie was born right, right at the beginning there, which was, which was really scary, you know, where you have that moment where it's been such a fight and such a struggle and there was no sound for a while when she came out and you sort of go, oh my god, you know, so I just think when you hear Heartwarming stories like that, I think it's good. So let's hope hope that they get better. But that's obviously the big sort of showbiz story of the day. Um, Alison Barber, well said, Mark. It's incredibly dangerous for women and their babies. Yeah, a huge, can we just do a huge thingy uh, round of applause for midwives and uh, doctors and, you know, paediatricians and all that kind of stuff who look after babies and bring them into the world. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of negative press around that for obvious reasons, but let's not forget it's incredibly potentially complex i mean something that's so simple and meant to be and there's a huge amount of pressure around it being this idyllic sort of perfect moment you know uh devoid of tragedy and trauma and you know the fact that she's survived do not think for a second that that in and of itself will not cause all sorts of trauma there'll be the relief but there'll be the constant what ifs do you know what i mean so um so there we go um I wanted to talk about, so vet prices, vet prices, this is a, this is a, um, this is, this is something that I think really gets, gets to me this, this is like dentistry, it's like dentistry, Um, who feels, let's, let's do a poll, who feels that vets can charge anything, can vets charge almost anything, or do you, you know, in that question, yes, no, add an option, they charge fairly. Maybe some of you feel they charge fairly. Um, I. It puts me off in the future, Julie, uh, says telling people if I knew someone was having baby. Um, it's, uh, yeah, no, well, like, it, it, it's it's always a bit worrying, yeah. Um, Theresa Hutchison, to anyone who sees these videos blurry, click the cog, all right, sorry, okay. Um, Home birth, you had a home birth, Tina Davis, yes. I mean, so did we. Nadia had both our babies at home, um, yeah. Uh, which I can't, can't exactly say I was I was comfortable with, but um, we got there. Jackie Villino, extortionate revet prices. Reese Roberts, yeah, via the vet prices, unfortunately you're gonna see more people at worst abandon their pets or give them away. Um, I agree. Edward Bevington, Rishi, stood in Parliament yesterday state and told pet, pet minister it would be a priority in future. Um, It's terrible what they charge, says Laura Dion. Anna-Marie Shellard, Vets Tech. Now, I, you know, you can't have the NHS of vets, but I do think, I mean, I think there are charities and things like that, aren't there? I think there are organisations that help people who can't, who can't afford huge health, uh, vet, vet prices. But then there's also, I just think sometimes, I know people always quite quickly, smartly say, oh, but there's insurance. Yeah, we all know there's pet insurance, of course there's pet insurance, but who thinks that there is a sort of unholy alliance between vets and insurance companies? And it's almost like the two sort of parts of the sector are there to simply support each other in a symbiotic sense. It's like literally, You know, the vets know that most people will be covered by insurance, so they have a rather blasé approach to to numbers. So they kind of go, you've got your insurance in place, and then they just chuck the numbers at you. What they don't realise is that a vast number of insurance policies, once you've made a claim on them, become null and void, not totally, but certainly majority in in, in a majority sense for any issues that redevelop along the lines of, like say, Chi Chi persistently has cellulitis. We've been trying to... Get her off steroids for so long and then we have to slightly increase them and then we have to bring them back and all that kind of stuff so she 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 got cellulitis and she's been you know she's been struggling with it ever since and in fact the vet said that we've managed to get her to an incredibly healthy place given where she was she was at death's door and yet anything relating to that cellulitis cannot be covered uh, by any insurance in the future because of course such a huge whack was hit on the original original occasion. So yeah, so great, so that's great. There's great that there's insurance there. It's great that it covers some of those big hits, but there's this sort of myth created, I think, around the whole dynamic and the structure of vets and insurance that it's like, oh, well, don't worry, vets can charge what they want because there's insurance, and because there's insurance, vets can, they, it, it, yeah. It's like literally sob the pet. Let's forget the pet, poor old pet, little dog looking up at everyone, wondering what's going on. Then poor old pet owner. And let's not, we're getting to the emotional contingent in a minute. Um, you can get lifetime cover. You can get lifetime cover, but even lifetime cover has all sorts of kind of checks and balances. If you go, for example, for that lifetime cover and your dog has an so say we were to go for a lifetime cover relating to Chi now, you still cannot get, and there will be, provisos and clauses against any conditions your dog has currently had. It's like if you go to the dentist or if you go to, if you get pet insurance, if you get, um, you know, health insurance, and when you go for the assessment, you've already got a dodgy knee and you know you want to get your knee done, they're not going to do your knee because they know you're coming to them to kind of cover the knee. So I just think, yes, of course, there's lifetime insurance. Yes, you can get, you know, all sorts of different levels of coverage and what have you. But I just feel that there is a kind of cavalier approach by vets that just simply go, we can get the money from the insurance people and the insurance people are like, yeah, we can get the money from all of you because we're not gonna cover you again. And it just, it suits the vets and it suits the uh, it suits the insurers. And then, so who's caught in the middle? Uh, the poor old pet owner, and then the poor old pet. This is Coffee morning. it's having a good old man, isn't it? Um, and I think that the next part of the equation, which is the most unforgivable, is the way in which vets work on the emotions of the owner it's terrible so this is the news that the government are gonna or uh, what's the organization there is going to be an 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 examination exploration and investigation into whether vet prices are too high whether um, customers are being exploited this reminds me of about three or four years ago a similar kind of inquiry or investigation or sort of survey was done into the prices of funerals and i thought that was right too you know the ever increasing underlying cost of a funeral uh, was just going up exponentially um the competition and markets authority the cma have said that vet fees are rising faster than any other goods or services during the cost of living crisis which uh, come on guys we know that pet ownership went up during the pandemic could argue you shouldn't buy a pet for christmas you search, it looks like you certainly shouldn't buy a pet for Um, a pandemic. But the other thing that gets me about all of that too is, no, of course you shouldn't buy a pet for Christmas. And no, of course you shouldn't buy buy a pet because you're lonely in a pandemic. But yet at the same time, the vast majority of people who do buy pets are buying them because they're lonely. And it feels like in that moment, there's an opportunistic sort of attempt here to seize upon lots more people who have lots more pets. It just feels cynical. So I think this is something that's really, really to be welcomed. What they do about it, I don't know. Um, But I also think it's just unforgivable when owners are put in the position of saying and I tell you, this is what this is what happens. I noticed this happened. Of course, we were in a lucky position where we could do it more often than not. You'll take your pet in for an issue. It becomes an emergency. I found I felt that the vets amplified the speed of the emergency, kind of demanding a decision from you on treatment right away. And because we're all caring for our pets we're in a desperate state of, oh my god what if i don't do it will she go blind and it's in that moment that i notice you have to get you you have to put in a request to the insurer to see if they even agree to it but i've noticed that vets aren't interested in that vets are interested in pushing you to an emotional uh, sort of cliff edge really fast because they just want you to tap that you know keyboard get your card out and stop it. Th- and I hate to say it for what is essentially, we know people have, who are training as vets, incredibly caring people. I think it's that danger of when you completely monetize a caring industry, it starts to backfire, it starts to go wrong, it starts to defeat the, it's, its own purpose. Sorry, I'll I just get really annoyed because I know a lot of you are pet lovers, a lot of you are pet owners, as are we. A lot of you, a lot of people like my Nan live for their pets and I seem to remember, you know, even when like her cat died, she, you know, we, I think, you know, we obviously we covered the cost of it, but I can't remember what she said. She said, they're charged for this, they charge charged for that, they're charged. It's just, they, they only see pounds in your pets. Yeah, the pups don't like, I think we have to get better at questioning the vet and the rationale. You're absolutely right. And this is one of the things they do say. They say, it's a little bit like when you go to a car mechanic. Too few of us are well enough informed to know what the situation is. I remember, it was weird. I can't remember what one of the issues was. When Chi Chi was really ill uh, with cellulitis, her uh, immunity went so through the ground that she became susceptible to other things. So I think she picked up mites or something off, um, she must have rolled in Fox or something and she picked something up. She got, and so she got these mites and, and, and so something was developing on us again. And then we noticed that Toffee had the same thing too. And we took them to one vet, we took them to another, and they just kept palming us off with, and this is the other idea, this is a curious idea, that you're somehow caring for your pet if you just take them to the vet. Well, actually, you know what? The vet, the three vets we took them to didn't come up with a diagnosis, I did. I said, and I insisted that they were mites, and they had to do a really, really, for them, annoying and expensive, paid for by us, uh, examination of their skin, And he came back, the vet, and he walked, he said, oh my God, I can't believe you're right, Mr. Adderley. She has mites. So it is worth doing your own bit of research, if you can. It is worth looking into your own, you know, it is worth sometimes, sadly, looking into, if there's something happening for your dog, is this a sad inevitability of old age? And what can you do to make it more comfortable? Because if you go to a vet, you can can rest assured they're going to find some way to potentially spin that off into 12 months or 18 months of some kind of paid for care. And I promise you, it's it's not always necessary. And it's not always necessarily accurate. And that's really hard, isn't it? When you're, when you're, a, when you're a, a pet owner of some form. So it's not about you don't take them to the vet, but it's like, push back a bit. And I, it was only by pushing and saying, look, I genuinely he said, no, but we don't get mites. I said, you don't get many dogs that have had cellulitis like this that have been compromised and they had to da da, 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 da. You know, you've got to, and that's hard. You know, if, if I think of like, say my mum was to go in with it, but she wouldn't push hard enough. Older people don't push hard enough. And so I think this story, the reason this is so important is this affects a vast majority of old, older pet owners. What do you think, guys? Do you agree? Sorry, I did. It just it, it just annoys me. It annoys me this kind of monetizing care. You know, it's like it's like dentistry. It's just like dentistry. It's just terrible. Anne Illing, I'm still traumatized two years on about decisions I was forced to make. The vet misdiagnosed and my dog died. No comeback. Anne Illing, that's awful. Wow. That's awful. A frog, uh, dog was sick, took it to vet, gave tablets, took seizure at home, back to vet, should never have been sent home, spent two days of vets, then cost thousands, wouldn't have been so bad if I had treatment first. A frog, that's awful. And, and Ma- Anna-Marie Shellard, we know our pets better than anyone. Um, yeah, you know, look, I'm going to Stuart. I'm going to the vets later for, for worm and flea tablets for three months. It will cost fifty pounds. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Though you know, those regular, you know, the regular kind of, you know, and the uh, lung worm and all that kind of stuff. You know, you've got to you got to do all of that vaccinations. What's that? I mean, like for example, Chi-Chi, because of her cellulitis, has it on her sort of health notes. that so she's not allowed, uh, like uh, boosters, vaccination boosters, because her, her system can't go with it. We're trying to get Chi-Chi back to um, an inherent strength that isn't dependent on on steroids. Though she still she does still have to take them. Her uh, dosage has come right down. Anyway, there we go. Um, vet prices. Ketamine. Anyone on that note? A nice segue. Uh, horse tranquilizer. Anyone here taking a horse tranquilizer? Has anyone? here, Let's just have a look at that. Can vets charge anything? Yes. It yeah, they charge fairly. Very small majority. Um, it's kind of the same answer. I'm not very good at the polls on here, much better than the ones on Instastory. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, horse tranquilizer. Anyone here, I'm just going to ask this, it's a curious question. I'm pretty certain I know what the answer is. Anyone here taken or knows someone who has taken ketamine? The new part, well not the new, uh, it's, but it's becoming the party drug of choice. Have you ever known anyone enter a K-hole? Or anything like that. Um, ketamine. I had my, oh God, Kim Massey, that's awful. I had my drink spiked with ketamine and was violently ill. Claire Smiley, ketamine is great. Had an, in that, yeah, ketamine looked, again, like most things, a bit like cannabis. Um, ketamine has medical properties, obviously. It's horse tranquilizer. Uh, it's also been used in studies for depression. Uh, and what have you um but this is this is just a piece that's knocking about uh, it's in time out um talking about how ketamine has become britain's go-to party party drug of choice uh, as as people who take it enter what they call k-holes um they become zombie clubbers um it's cheaper than things like mdma much cheaper than things like cocaine um one of its huge um appeals i think to to those who take it is that it's the kind of drug you can take. You can have a totally, totally disassociative, hallucinatory experience, but unlike, not that ecstasy gives you hallucination, but unlike the kind of after effects or the hangover effect of almost all other drugs, and certainly alcohol, um, there's the suggestion that ketamine, I would challenge this, but there's the suggestion that more, more often than not, ketamine rarely comes with a hangover. That assumes you've taken ketamine on its own. Um, yeah, we're talking about ketamine for horses. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the nicknames for it? They they have uh, Ketamine K, Special K, Wonk, Donkey Dust. There you go, Donkey Dust. You can get that, can't you? Um, they come across as uh, they come in the form of tiny white shards of crystal. Um, in March 2022, record amounts were seized by police. Uh, the usage statistics are on the increase. One in 20 young people in the UK uh, has done K. Um, it's, uh, interestingly though, the cities in which it happens the most, or it's taken the most, are Manchester and Bristol. London isn't far behind. I wonder if that's because slightly more affluent London, there's it's, it's perhaps cocaine, I don't know. Um, it's taken at f- uh, festivals and stuff like that. Um, this, it was originally, I think it first appeared in the UK around 20 years ago, the saying, as a class B drug. Um, as we say, it, it is it is used as, as a horse tranquilizer. Um, and it, it became part of the rave and clubbing culture. I mean, interestingly, I, I say I never took it when I was much younger, I presume. I, I don't think it was around when I was when I was younger, looking over 20 years ago. You know what I might have done? I don't know, I, I, I just don't know. Um, such a mess back there. Um, MDMA tends to go for £40 a gram. Cocaine can sometimes cost up to £100 a a gram. But ketamine ketamine comes with its own risks. Ketamine comes with this... I mean, a lot of... Interestingly, a lot of um, clubbers, um, DJs, uh, club organisers, all this kind of stuff. In fact, I'm checking out a location later today, which is a a nightclub for some filming. And um, I was talking to the owner of that about, um, you know, he was saying that, you know, certain drugs can lead to an event uh, being like a zombie apocalypse, you know, no one's actually present. Everyone's kind of off their tits and in a different world. Um, but uh, it can have a massively negative effect on your bladder. It can lead to something called K bladder or sorts of, I mean, there are stories of people's bladders just kind of rotting from within. Um, so, so yeah, this is just ketamine, which is, is becoming, you know, it's becoming sort of the go to, go to urban drug really. So, um, so you'll hear a lot about that. Um, I just wanted, I've put in the title Jeremy Clarkson. Who's a Jeremy Clarkson? I mean, and don't be ashamed. I've gone down Jeremy Clarkson K-holes. Sounds awful, I know. Um, in the past, I, I, in the pandemic, would sometimes find myself on his, um, I'm going to ask you, are you a Jeremy Clarkson fan? I went on his Instagram. He, I don't agree with any of his politics, but he does make me laugh. It's as simple as that. I mean, I suppose that's the only way I can describe it. He makes me laugh, and I know that by laughing, um, unfortunately, you support his politics in a sense, which is so it's, it's frustrating. But he does he does make me chuckle, and he and he does have a turn of phrase, and he does have a. I mean, he, for me, he's a comic. For me, he's a for me he's a comedian um, who shouldn't be taken seriously, and I think it's wrong when he wades into, you know, all that awfulness around Meghan, absolutely unforgivable, totally you know reprehensible. Um, and all that kind of stuff. I totally agree. But, um, yeah, Catherine Cronin, he's a troll. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, the way in which he's pulled down people, I think is absolutely awful. Um, but this is the, and again, this is this is the danger of these sort of intelligent, if you like, intelligent, horrible people, uh, or entertaining horrible people. is that Jeremy Clarkson, he's got a piece in the Times today, which is titled, The Young Think the UK is Suddenly Rubbish, But It Always Has Been. But as you start reading it again, I just found myself laughing. I just found myself laughing. Um, He did a little kind of I just want to read you this paragraph because he he kind of sums up what we used to think was great about Britain and how it's gradually we've come to realise it wasn't. And it's kind of an interesting um, it's almost like an interesting comedic history of Britain. Um, he said, the stuff that made my generation proud to be British is now something to be ashamed of. He was, He's talking about how he was talking to youngsters whilst away on holiday or in France. He was probably in a chateau talking to um, some, some friend of his uh, kids. But anyway, at least he was talking to young people. And I think talking to young people to get a sort of, you know, sense of what life is like is always good. I think anyone who's old or over 40 should make it... it, it, it's, it, it's, it incumbent on you to have conversations with young people, whether you like what you hear or don't like what you hear. Um, He said he was having a conversation with them and he realised that his generation, uh, everything that made him proud to be British is now something to be ashamed of. I'm just gonna run through this. I thought, oh, this would be a different coffee moaning. See what you think, see if you agree. If you're driving and listening, see if you agree. Listen to this. Healthy Mummy Cat says, I'm a Clarkson fan. Okay, the Spitfire caused global warming. Winston Churchill was a racist. Sadly, that's a fact. The British Museum is full of stolen artefacts. The Empire was wrong. Our famous comedy is misogynistic. Um, We can add to that things like some of our leading entertainers were also paedophiles. Our stiff upper lip causes mental health issues. (laughs) Kenny Everett was transphobic. Led Zeppelin were guilty of cultural appropriation. And we were only able to give the world penicillin and the internet and television because of our history of slavery, which we invented, and which we only dropped after pressure from Abraham Lincoln. Now, he's writing all that in that arched way that Jeremy Clarkson does, which is he's actually everything he just everything he's written there is true. Everything there is true, but of course he's turning it to his he's turning it to his advantage. He's trying to make the point that okay, well that might all be true. Uh, he said because he says the kids genuinely believe all this stuff, so presumably he doesn't. But it's interesting the way he's so sort of brilliantly sort of summed up so many things um, in in a very simple way. Um, (laughs) This made me laugh though, this made me laugh. He said, the kids genuinely believe all this stuff uh, and therefore the kids I was talking to were happy to be in France because they seem to think that no one in France has ever cut anyone's head off. It's quite funny. Um, uh, All these things are also facts in the heads of the nation's Gen Z people. And he says this, this is this, this this made me laugh i mean i don't necessarily agree with it there's no point arguing because that would be mansplaining which is misogynist racist and transphobic all at the same time <laughs> um so we move the debate on to today and again they couldn't think of anything about modern britain that made them proud and there's no point arguing that because they're right and then he goes into a summary of britain today and i just they, again i mean in a sense if you remove his, because at the end basically this article, let me explain, it ends with him saying bring back Margaret Thatcher, which was the point at which I hurled my laptop out the window in despair, going you twonk Anne-Marie Schillard, he's a clever twonk, what a twonk, how can you end up at Margaret Thatcher? Anyway, so he says I look at Britain today and I simply don't know what's holding it together or how it's still functioning (laughs) and then this list, this list is great, I mean again he's a brilliant writer, we have an air traffic control system that collapsed because a lone pilot mistakenly said he was heading for Birmingham when he met Bristol. Now we have a bunch of hyperbolic people who use too much language, people stranded in hellholes like Nice and Rome saying it's absolute chaos. No, it isn't. <laughs> it says, um, we learned only last week that policemen and police women can't be sacked, even if they spend their evenings doing light burglary. No one can be sacked. No one can even be told off. And if you're a doctor and you go to your hospital trust with suspicions that one of the nurses is actually murdering your babies you'll be forced to write the nurse in question a letter of apology because she's young she's a girl you're older you're a man so you're automatically wrong this is after god knows how many years of conservative rule uh, he then said oh he said we can't get trains to work properly. You can't use a car to get into London because it's allowed the mayor to insist that everyone must arrive in the capital on the wings of an angel or a unicorn or anything that doesn't emit nitrogen or argon. Whilst we're on the subject, gangs run up and down Oxford Street, macheteing everything. The Notting Hill Carnival went through a brief, brief period of being fun for anyone who's deaf, but now it's become a blood soaked orgy of robbery and violence. I think only that, again, you're only looking at certain headlines there. I'm in a state of despair. And he said something else here. What was it? It was something about, oh, and then he said, as if everything, as if all of that was enough, all our schools are falling down. And he ends by saying, we need, we need Margaret Thatcher. We need Margaret Thatcher to give us hope. I just thought it was funny because Inadvertently, Jeremy Clarkson gives us two paragraphs there that describe perfectly why Britain wasn't great historically and describes perfectly why Britain isn't great today. It's just that he seeks to suggest that the former reasons we weren't great aren't real. They are because he's beautifully described them. And then he supposes that the solution to where we're at now is the origin story, is a reemergence of the origin story, Thatcher, of what we are in now, which just seems strange. So anyway, there we go. Um, but anyway, as I say, can't stand his politics, but unfortunately, he has a very entertaining way, and inadvertently, he's kind of honed in on everything that's wrong, wrong in the country at the moment. And t- who wants an Anne finally? D- should we see if I've even comprehended or understood the concept of Nadia's Anne finally? I think I might have done now. This isn't and horribly, and this isn't Anne squeamishly. And this is an and. Ooh, disgustingly. This is and finally. This made me really laugh. Yeah, Catherine Cronin, you want one? Teresa Archin. Puppy don't puppies don't lie. Do you want one? Faith Goodman, good chip lollipop. Yeah, should we go for it? Mm? Okay. <laughs> this is Mexico City. Okay, we're going to Mexico City. I'm a, I'm I'm a keen marathon runner. I've run five marathons and I've run uh, an ultra marathon, a, a 31 mile marathon uh, in the Jordanian desert. I've done that. Um, so I'm a. Kid. I like marathons. I don't think you should run marathons a lot because they're dangerous. And so, in, a, in in some small way, I have sympathy with some of the people featured in this story. This this story is. <laughs> it's no commentary on this, but I, there's something about this that just makes me really chuckle with affection. I don't know why. Um, oh, where's where's the headline gone? I've lost the headline. Where is it? Ah, come back. Let me just go back. Um, So this is the story that Mexico City Marathon has had to disqualify 11,000 runners. Bearing in mind, there are about 33,000 runners. So a third of the people who took part in the Mexico City Marathon had to be disqualified because they used cars, bikes and public transport. I just think that is absolutely hysterical. Approximately 11,000 runners in the Mexico City Marathon were disqualified for cheating. Organizers of the 27th of August race launched an investigation after receiving complaints that runners had used variously cars, bikes and public transport and had missed certain checkpoints on the run. 11,000 that's a th- I'm just I'm just imagining them all setting I would love to see a montage of all the faces of every single runner at the point they decided to leave the race and jump in and, and, and take some other form of transport that moment in their eyes of "fuck this for a game of soldiers what have i signed up for or had they always planned it it's wacky races Catherine Cronin it absolutely is wacky races and it reminds me of when I did do the ultramarathon and we ran I ran from Amman the capital of uh, Jordan and ran down to the Dead Sea through the sort of arid land um desert land and I, as, as I got to the last five miles and you could literally a literal mirage of water the Dead Sea ahead of you because of course it's dead as well um these young boys on camelback uh came running alongside me on camels and they were screaming um Ride, ride. And, and I was like, no. And they were like, no one will know because there was no one around me. And they're like, no one. Obviously, this has happened in the past. They're like, no one will know. You know, money, money. And they were going to basically put me on the back of a camel and, and, and trot me along for a bit. I was, I was quite tempted, actually. Uh, but that, it, I just think this is funny. I just thought this was very funny. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a nightmare for the Mexico City Marathon organisation, but but my God, a third of them, a third of contenders, just said, "Sod this." But also, who are you kidding? When you get to the end, having taken the number seventy six bus, and you're given your medal, must feel a bit of a bit of a fraud, eh? Anyway, I thought that is that, and finally, is that a good an- is that what Nads means by "and finally," or is she always wanting like, you know, really dinky kind of. We'll find out tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll hand hand finally to her tomorrow. Um, but I thought that was that was that was that was funny. It would make a <laughs> it really would. It would make a nice short. Actually, you don't often get good comedy shorts. It would make a good comedy short film, wouldn't it? You know, they all set off, and it's the various different ways in which runners reese let's meet up for that coffee at the london film festival come on let's do it anyway guys i hope you have a lovely day um some kind of vlog is landing later uh, as i said the curly cooks is has been recorded that's landing oh no we're not there yet no, friday uh, me and ads will be here for coffee moaning tomorrow have a lovely day